10 years ago, but you're still waiting to be baptized, I would encourage you to take that step. Uh, it is, it is a, a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ, and I know it encourages the church. As we look at the early church in Acts, not only was baptism a part of their story, uh, but we also know this, that they, they shared together what they had. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 tells us this, All the believers were in one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. We're going to receive a second offering today. We do this anytime there is a fifth Sunday, and we call this the benevolence offering, because all this money that we collect in this offering is set aside to help others when they're in a place of need. Um, We've been able, through the years, to bless people by paying their utility bill when they couldn't, their their rent when they've lost a job, and so we just believe that as the church that we can come together, amen, and surround each other and encourage each other. And so if you're in a place of financial need, I encourage you to reach out to the church. If you're able to share today, I just encourage you to give as the ushers come out of the abundance that God has blessed you. Let's share what God has given to us. And so, Lord, we thank you today for your church. We thank you today for your word. We thank you today again for an opportunity to give to those in need. And Lord, I pray that if there's any needs in the house, that we as your church would be able to meet those, Lord God, and that you would be glorified. We just thank you for your word today as we turn to it. We pray that you give us hearts of expectancy, Lord God, that we would desire to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible today, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Today we're going to look at the birth of the church book of Acts. But before we read there, let me remind you uh, what is happening in the story as we've gone through it so far. At this point, it's been a week since the followers of Jesus heard their instructions from Jesus to wait for the promise of the Father, right? This was the power that they needed to be the witnesses that Christ called them to be. The 40 days prior to that instruction had been full of visits uh, from a resurrected Jesus. He was appearing to them and he was teaching them things about the kingdom. Remember, we talked last week that even though he was teaching them, they still didn't quite get it. They still didn't quite understand what the kingdom was all about. But then they watched as he ascended before them into heaven. And so this group of 120 is now gathered together in the upper room. They are in one accord, meaning they are united. They're they're praying that their hearts would be ready to receive the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. They've just been presented, understand this, with what seems to be an impossible task. They know, man, they've been tasked to take the gospel to the entire world, right? And they know this, we can't do that without Jesus' help, okay? They know they need the Spirit of God to do what Jesus has commanded them to. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says there, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and 
Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya beyond belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Greeks and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now bless the reading of the word. It says there, when the day of Pentecost came, the, the term Pentecost, if you're following in the note sheets, it means this. It means 50. 50. And the Greek word Pentecoste means 50. And 50 days after Passover, it's a celebration of God's provision of the first fruits of the harvest. It's amazing that during this celebration of the first fruits, the church really sees the first fruits of a harvest that's yet to come. And so here they are, they're gathered together, and as they prayed, the moment that John the Baptist had predicted, the moment that Jesus told them to wait for had finally come. The church is now baptized not with water, but with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? It's important that we know who he is, right? He is the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity. He has the same attributes as God the Father and Jesus the Son, meaning he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, he is all-present, he is eternal. Now, while we witness the outpouring of God's Spirit on the church here in Acts, understand this is not the first time in the Bible that we are introduced to the Spirit of God. This is not a new thing for the New Testament, okay? In the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew word is ruach. It's translated three ways, wind, breath, or spirit. Wind, breath, or spirit, depending on the context, depending on the usage. So if you take the words ruach Elohim, it means the spirit of God, or it literally means this. It means the, the breath or the wind of God. And throughout the Old Testament, you will see there are many occasions where the spirit of God comes upon people, but it's always for a specific time and for a specific purpose. Did you know there are approximately 100 references, 100 references to the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, to the Holy Spirit? Now, those who lived during the Old Testament times would not have known the doctrine of the Trinity or, or the triune God as we do today, because there was little understanding of Him in that way. However, they would have understood the power and the wisdom and the strength of the Spirit of God, because God worked in those days through His Spirit as an angel. Before being sent to the believers on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God, again, did not permanently indwell people. The patriarch, Joseph, was filled with the Spirit, which caused Pharaoh to recognize that he was like no other, right? The Spirit of God was upon Joseph's life. All of the judges of Israel were filled with the Spirit of God to accomplish a specific task. And this type of filling provided them with supernatural ability, often marked by great courage or, or great strength. Think about Othniel and Gideon and Jephthah, and men like Samuel.
Samuel 16, 14 says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. In other words, the Spirit was on him, but it departed from him. When the prophet Samuel anointed David to be king, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Later on, it's interesting because David expresses concern that the same thing not happened to him that happened to Saul, right? He, he prays, do not take, Lord, your Holy Spirit from me. The prophets were filled with the Spirit. That's what enabled them to minister. That's what enabled them to prophesy. Now, what's the difference between the Old Testament experience of the Holy Spirit and what takes place at Pentecost? Again, in the Old Testament, what we call the charismatic endowment was only given by God selectively to isolated individuals for a time. And surely the most clearly charismatically endowed person in the Old Testament to me was Moses, had been Moses. Because we know this, that Moses' strength was not inherent to Moses himself. I mean, he admits, I can't even speak well, right? He needs the Holy Spirit's power to speak. He could hardly lift his own arms without the help of Aaron and her. And so Moses' miracles and and Moses' leadership was worked out through the endowment of the Holy Spirit, okay? But there came a point in Moses' ministry where he could hardly bear the burden of leading God's people anymore. His father, Jethro, rebukes Moses at this time, and he tells him, Moses, you're trying to do too much with too little. You need to get some help, Moses. Moses wrestles with God for a time. And he he says to God, these people that you gave me to lead, they're complaining all of the time. Like, they actually want to go back to to Egypt and eat their leeks and their garlic and their onions because, God, they're sick and tired of manna. They're tired of fried manna. They got cooked manna, baked manna, manna souffle, right? They're trying to do whatever they can. They're tired of manna, God. And and so Moses has enough, and, and he basically says to God, God, if you love me at all, just kill me right now. You ever been there? Just take me, Lord, right? He said, I can't bear with these people any longer. But God has a different plan. Instead of killing Moses as Moses requested, what God told Moses, he said, select for yourself 70 men who are to be elders of Israel. I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and I will distribute it to those 70 elders. Numbers 11, verse 24. Come on, turn with me. I want you to see this. says, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people, and he placed them around the tent. What tent is that? It's the tent of meeting where Moses would go and where the people would go. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit. What spirit is that? It's the Holy Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue to go. And something else takes place in this text. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out into the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran out and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Now this is a serious matter. You don't prophesy in camp. God meets us out of here at the tent of meeting, right? But the Holy Spirit comes upon these men, and they begin to prophesy. And Joshua sees what's happening, and he gets upset. I mean, he's, he's just living. 
because he assumes that this diffusion of the spiritual power that was on Moses is now being imitated by these other 70 men. And he thinks, man, this is some kind of uprising, right, by these 70 men. They're trying to take for themselves some power that belonged to Moses. And so hear what Joshua says, verse 28. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. Stop them, Moses. Now, now listen, because Moses' answer to Joshua is of great importance as we look at what takes place in Pentecost. It says there, but Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You see what Moses is saying there? Saying, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Because if you are, don't be. Joshua, you should rejoice in this moment that God has brought in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to 70. And he says, I wish it was much broader than that. I wish God would pour out his spirit on all of his people and that all of his people would be prophets. Now, at this point in history, understand this is only a hope. It's a dream, if you will, for Moses. It's, it's a prayer for the future. But this prayer later becomes a prophecy of the prophet Joel Joel 2.28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Do you see how what was a prayer of Moses now becomes a prophecy through Joel? It's a prophecy for the future, and that future is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Do you see how this works out? It's fulfilled there in Acts chapter 2. Again, verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house that they were sitting in. Again, wind and spirit are actually the same word, both in Hebrew and in Greek. Now, where does the sound come from? Now, somebody tell me, where does the sound come from? It's right there in the text. It comes from where? It comes from where? Sound came from? It came from heaven. It comes from God. It comes from heaven, right? All of a sudden, there was a sound that, that came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. It's important that we understand that's the source, right? The source is heaven itself. And as the sound of the wind reaches this crescendo, the 120 that are gathered there realize this could be the moment, right? This is the, the moment that Moses prayed for. This is the moment that Joel, the prophet, prophesied of. This is it. And they completely surrender themselves to God. Verse 3, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So first you have the sound of the wind, which manifestations of God. And then it comes the fire, which often represented what? The presence of God. If you go all the way back again to the story of Moses, you know that there was a bush that was burning, right? And, and it did not burn up. The, the fire on that bush, it was literally the presence of God. Fire descended on Mount Sinai when Moses went and talked to God. The, the presence of God in the Holy of Holies was described like a ball of light, like a fire, and it was known as the Shekinah glory of God. And, and so imagine, they're, they're in this place, the sound of this mighty wind is blowing, they're in the upper room, they have this great expectancy, and all of a sudden the Shekinah glory of God fills the room as they're praying. And I wonder in that moment, if they're praying with their heads down, if somebody looked up and they saw something, right? And they nudge the person, do you see it? Right? Fire. 
they continue to pray, they continue to seek God, and together they watch in wonder as fire is divided into tongues of fire that settles on each person. Now, how many in the room receive the Holy Spirit? All, right? The next verse says all of them. All 120. It was not a select few. It, it was not just 70. And they began these ecstatic utterances proclaiming the wonder of God. If fire is a picture of the presence of God, then these tongues of fire were a picture of God's presence in each and every single one. Understand, this moment was a turning point in history. Because no longer would the law be written just on tablets of stone, but on the, the, the law would be written on hearts of flesh, right? This was the moment. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the word tongues there is the word for languages, okay? And it's obvious as we read this passage that the tongues were for the purpose of communicating very clearly the wondrous works of God in known languages. This was not an unknown tongue. This was not a, a heavenly tongue. It's not a, a prayer language here. This was known tongues, okay? In First Corinthians chapter 14, Paul describes an unknown tongue, but that's not what's taking place here. Okay? Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, at, the sound, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 120 people spontaneously speak a language they never heard before. And they knew in this moment, right, without a doubt, something supernatural is taking place through them. God is doing something supernatural here in order that the kingdom of God would Galileans, here's the thing, they were not known for being the most eloquent speakers. In fact, they were somewhat hard to understand, like Southerners sometimes, right? So what you're saying, I don't really understand that. It sounded good, but I don't understand it, right? And so they had this strong accent. They had this dialect from the area they were from, which was evident. And it's how they knew when, when Peter was around the fire that night. They said, aren't you a Galilean, right? How did they know that? He wasn't wearing an I Love Galilee shirt. He, they could hear it in his voice. He must be from Galilee. You can tell by the way he talked. Understand here, there is a difference between a natural gift and a spiritual gift. Naturally, they, they didn't have a speaking gift, but the Spirit of God gives them utterance, and they are speaking clearly in other languages that they did not know. Now, there's three signs that accompany the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this day. Because I think God wants to make it clear, okay? He told them to wait, and so the Holy Spirit comes. He doesn't want them wondering. Do we keep waiting? Was that it, right? Uh, and, and so he doesn't want them guessing. And so three signs, distinct signs we see here. Number one, it was a sound of the wind from heaven, right? That was the first thing we saw there. Secondly, it was divided tongues of fire that appear on their heads. And finally, comes this utterance in known languages. Now, if you come from a traditional Pentecostal background, you know that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is discussed, there's only one of these signs that's focused on, okay? And usually it's speaking in tongues. Now, hear me today because I believe in the gift of tongues. I, I believe in speaking in tongues. I, I believe in a heavenly prayer language, okay? Again, that's not what's described here. And yet some will say, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But I would say, what about the other evidences? What about the sound of the mighty wind? What about the tongues of fire? Wouldn't that be necessary as, as well, right? Again, these were very distinct evidences on this day and on a few other occasions in Acts, where you see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because uh, 
they want to, God wants to make it clear what's happening. But if you pull out this one evidence from that occasion and you make it the rule, you're missing the point of what's happening here, right? Now, why, do I, why is that an issue? Because I remember as a young person uh, spending time at an altar at, at, a, at a winter camp and asking for the gift of tongues. Again, this gift is available and this gift is powerful, but we ought not to seek the gift when the giver comes. Are you with me today? As we seek the Holy Spirit, He gives us good gifts as He sees fit, right? And so here are the apostles, and they're, they're wondering how are we going to carry out what God's called us to do, right? How are we going to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth? How are we going to communicate this in other languages? They're like, does anybody know Arabic, right? Anybody? Anybody know Swahili? We've we got to do this, guys. Come on. Somebody needs to get on Duolingo. We better get going, right? But, but I love it because right away the Spirit of God does something that they could never imagine. If you think back to the Old Testament, remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Mankind comes together. God tells them to spread out and fill the earth. They say, no, we're going to come together and we're going to build a tower. And with that tower, we're going to reach the heavens, right? They're going against what God says. And God says, no, no, spread out and fill the earth. They say, no, we're going we're gonna to make a name for ourselves. And God finally says, enough of that, right? And he confuses their languages to divide the kingdom of man so that man would spread out across the earth. But it's so amazing. Here in Acts, you see the reversal of that. Here, you have everyone understanding in their own language, the, the works of God, and that brings them together into the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God makes their hearts one in Christ, and it brings a supernatural unity in the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Unity does not mean uniformity. Right? God could have just said in this moment, I'm going to give you all just a new language. It's going to be Christian. It's going to be, you know, Christian. You just speak this language, right? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he communicates the truth in so our unity in Christ this morning, I love it, like our, our unity in, in Christ this morning is in the truth of the gospel, not the language that we speak. Even in heaven, there's not going to be one language. I know some of you think, man, I speak the heavenly language. We understand that there's going to be every nation and tongue, every language and tribe. Can you imagine if all these voices and languages you might not understand right now, can you understand all that? Lifting up their voice to God and declaring that Jesus is Lord. Verse 7 says, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Now are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in, in his own native language? We hear them telling in our tongue the mighty works of God. The, the crowd is so shocked to hear them speaking so many languages and dialects and speaking them so clearly. And certainly they see the power behind these words. Their words were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The works of God were being proclaimed comes to proclaiming the gospel, when it comes to living as a witness, let me just say, when we try to witness without the leading of the Holy Spirit, without the, the fruit of the Spirit flowing through us, sometimes we do more harm than good, right? Because what people hear even more than the words that we say is the Spirit that we say them in. When I say something, I hope you can generally sense whether I mean it or not, right? You, you understand what's behind that. And so, when our words are backed by sincerity, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, they are powerful. But if we, in, in our witness, become impatient, right, we need to check our hearts because patience is a fruit of the Spirit, right? When we're more frustrated with people than joyful, we need to remember joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And the danger in evangelism is that we can witness the letter of the law instead of the Spirit of the law, right? 
Like the Old Testament tells us the soul that sins will die, and you, you don't need the Holy Spirit to proclaim that. However, you do need the Holy Spirit to proclaim that in a loving way at the right time so that it can be received. Think about it. Timothy Peter is about to boldly proclaim to Philemon that they've murdered the Son of God. And that truth is miraculously received because he's preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is in his words. Church, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth lovingly. Listen, if you want to know if you're full of the Holy Spirit, look for his fruit in your life. The Apostle Paul contrasts the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit, and, and this is right after he describes the gifts of the Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, he says, I am nothing. He says this right after describing the gifts of the Spirit. He's speaking about some powerful gifts, but he's saying, without the fruit of the Spirit, those are just noise in our lives. Those gifts don't attract people to Jesus, they actually repel them. In fact, he says, without the fruit of love, we are nothing. And, and so we need to be reminded that if the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in our lives, we need to seek the Lord for a fresh anointing of the Spirit. Amen? And you say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me once again? Because if we're honest, sometimes we drift. And sometimes in life, we make other things a priority. Sometimes we're actually resisting the Spirit of God and His work in our lives, but we, we choose to ignore Him and substitute for Him. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others mocking said they are filled with wine. Listen, whenever the Spirit of God moves, you generally have two responses. And I, I love this because the people look on and they're amazed and they're perplexed. They're like, man, this is awesome. What is this? Right? And, and, but they do realize something significant is happening in that place, right? And, and something, this is odd, and they, they genuinely want to know more. They, they don't understand what it is, but they say, could you tell me what this is? But, but another group is looking on. And they see the same joy and the same zeal, only they, instead, they mock him. They say they must be drunk, which is odd because it doesn't explain the supernatural language in there, right? Most people have a more difficult time speaking when they're drunk, right? Most people don't, don't speak in other languages. Well, if they do, they're not the nicest words, right? But, but you can see in these verses, this division in, in, that, that in the world is becoming so obvious in our day and age as well, right? There are those who see God moving, they see spiritual things, and, and they don't understand it, but there's a heart that wants to know more. What is this? What's happening in your life? But others are so illogical, and they begin to say things that don't even make sense because it's, it's what they would like to believe. For some, there's no desire to look deeper or even consider another perspective, and so they'll say things that don't make sense. I thank God today for the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, which allows us, as we are a witness, allows people's hearts to be open to the Holy Spirit. And, and let me just say today, if you have received Jesus as your Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Like, you can't have Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys know the name John Wimber. He was uh, radically saved during the Jesus movement of the 1960s. He would later go on to, to pastor in the vineyard movement of churches. And he came to the Lord, his testimony, in, in, in a very dramatic way. And 
And right away he began reading in the New Testament. He began reading through the Gospels. Then he got into the book of Acts, and he was so excited about what he was reading. But then he went to church, and he was just disillusioned. Like, the service was always right on time. You sit down, stand up, and it's just like over an hour every single time. Finally, Wimber looked around at some of the people and said, what are we going to do to stop? He said, what stop? Right? He said, you know, the stop. Because he had been reading in the book of Acts, he had been reading about conversions and healings and deliverance and all these miracles taking place in the early church that are recorded in the book of Acts. But instead of signs and wonders, he saw no signs to make him wonder anything. He only saw the deadness and the ritual of the soul. And some of you, maybe that describes the church you grew up in. It was ritual, it was deadness, it was just going through the motions. But I want to tell you this. As you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see that signs and wonders were not the exception. They were the norm in the early church. Healing, supernatural happenings were expected. And, and while this took place, the church grew miraculously. Now, there are, are those that try to explain this by saying that we live in a different dispensation. Like, well, that was for, for the early church, right? But, but we live in, in a different time. They would say that healing was for a specific time. It was just to authenticate the, the message of the apostles. But we no longer need that today. And I say, really? Really, does God really divide up history into little segments where he acts one way in one generation and a totally different way in another generation? If so, then he's not the same yesterday, today, or forever. If he does respond differently at different times, then, then he is one kind of God at one point in history, an entirely different God at another. But I strongly believe this today. Okay? I believe this today, that the church today needs to rediscover that we have an unchanging God and we're part of an unchanging kingdom. We, we need to rediscover, if you will, the power of Pentecost. We need to become a Pentecostal church. And I'm not talking about a denomination. So when you hear that word, you think of Bill Bacon and long service. That's just your headline, right? Who knows how I go there past it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being an Acts chapter 2 church where we understand we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit. We need to see people's lives turned around. We need to see people's lives healed physically, emotionally, spiritually. We need to experience the unity of the Spirit as the early church did. We need to have the fire of God fall in the people of God when it is here. Because we know that God sends forth the Spirit when it is here. But most of all, Jesus sends forth the Holy Spirit. And if that's going to happen in the church in America, we need to rediscover the power of Pentecost. Now, how do we do that? How do we walk in Pentecostal power? Let me give you three things real quick. Number one, Pentecost power comes when you realize that the Christian life is not about keeping rules. It's about doing things. Understand, in churches all across the United States, the gospel of being good is preached, right? And in some places, it's translated as being politically active for a social cause or at least concerned. In other places, the measure of a person's Christianity is how tolerant or inclusive they are of other people and their lifestyles and their ideas. But until we renew our commitment to preaching that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, until we can declare boldly that no one comes to the Father except through him, until we're ready to proclaim that, we will not experience the presence of the Holy Spirit or know the zeal of the early church. Until the people who call themselves the people of God renew their commitment to knowing Christ on a daily basis and actually living faithfully. 
Christianity is about the most powerful and wonderful person in the universe who desires to know us intimately. And this experience is not tame, man. It is wild and it's powerful. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Secondly, I would say this. The Pentecostal power comes when you realize the Christian life is not just about salvation.
that power in, in, in a new way. You need to understand it in a new way. In just a moment, we're going to move to these altars. And the altar is, is a place of surrender. It's a place of sacrifice. If you would say this morning, I want God to have I want God to have all of me. I want to have every area of my life. I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to get ready to move. Get ready to move in just a moment towards these altars. Climbing through this area, and all of a sudden, a rock came loose, 800 pound rock, crushed his arm. He was pinned. Remember this story? He was pinned there under this 300 pound rock. As he was laying there, he thought about, Man, what is this going to happen? What's going to happen? You know? Am I going to die out here? My family's going to find out, or maybe they'll never know what happened to me. But after five days of being pinned, after running out of food and water, he decided, You know, I'm going to do a drastic measure. After he did that, he rigged up a system to, to climb down with just his one arm and then move, walked right out of that kid to a place of rescue. The story was, was all over the news, but what the news forgot to tell you was that he was a, a strong believer in Jesus Christ and that he credits God for being able to do what he did. He was a, a deeply committed follower of Jesus Christ. And because Aaron wanted to live so desperately, listen to me, because he wanted to live so desperately, he was ready to go to extreme measures. He was willing to cut out anything and everything that was holding him back, no matter how painful. And can I just say, this is the kind of commitment and zeal that will enable you to experience Pentecostal power in your life. When you are ready, when you are prepared to say, God, I'm going to cut away anything and everything that would hold me back. I'm going to walk out of that, that canyon of bondage that the Holy Spirit will come to you in new ways and you will know a life that you did not know before. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The apostles received with the power of the Holy Spirit for one reason and one reason alone. They were desperate. Thank you. 